1 Thessalonians 5. We're going to stand, if you are able to stand, for the reading of the text. We'll start in verse 11, and we'll move up to verse 18. Therefore, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work, live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, 14, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You may be seated, and I pray that the Lord would write his word upon our hearts. Now, we've come off a uh, couple of messages on the day of the Lord. That teaching began at 4.13 and took us to chapter 5, verse 11. And we took uh, actually three different Sundays to teach on the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is the day when God comes, when Jesus returns, to rescue his people and pour his wrath out. It's a day of judgment, but it's also a day of rescue. It's a day of resurrection and a day of rapture. It's a day when the Lord will pour out his wrath that he's been holding back for quite a long time, and then he will make new heavens and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells. We know how the story ends. Praise God. And we are looking for new heavens and a new earth. And Peter says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be, 2 Peter 3, 11, in holy conduct and godliness? If everything is going to be destroyed in this way, if, this, if everything that we see is temporal except for God and his people, then how should we live? How then shall we live? Some people might think after a couple of messages on the day of the Lord, Paul might say, now this is how you stockpile food should these days approach. Or, hey, if you see this coming, put a white robe on and go to the highest mountain and wait for the Lord because you'll be closer to him when he comes. But that's not what Paul says. And that may be appropriate for a generation that has to deal with a rough period of time. I'm not saying that that's inappropriate, but that's not Paul's focus at all. Paul's focus is going to be on your ministry to other people and your own walk with the Lord. That's where our focus needs to be in light of the second coming. And I wrote in my notes, am I doing this? Are you doing this? Now, a few verses that lead us up foundationally in 1 Thessalonians 5, 5, take a look, it says, this is an identity verse, you are all, if you're a believer, sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night, nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do. Let us be alert and sober. Skip down to verse 8. Since we are of the day, since this is who we are, we are children of light, let us be sober, having put on, there's something that we need to do, put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, 
the hope of salvation. And then all the way down to 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. There's a lot of discouraged people in our world. There's no doubt about it. And the church is supposed to be a place for encouragement. And encouragement can come in many different forms. Encouragement, if you're looking for a definition, means to put courage into people. It means to build up other people. In fact, both of the uh, ideas in verse 11, take a look, encourage one another and build up one another, really are the same thing. You can't encourage somebody without building them up. Amen? See, we need to be those who are encouraging one another to love and good deeds. Now, at the heart of the debate in the last several months has been Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. That we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the habit of some, but we're to encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Pray tell, how can we encourage one another if we're not with one another? Amen? Now, I know some people have needed to stay away for health reasons, and that's understandable. But at some point, the church needs to get back together to encourage one another. How sweet was the worship that just took place, folks? How sweet was that? There is something about the corporate body of Christ together singing God inhabits the praises of his people. We re-enthrone him, if you will, upon our hearts corporately when we come together. How we need that. And I believe in many ways, the churches having been attacked, especially in California, has not really been about a virus. It's been about another agenda. And I'm not saying that there's no virus. And I'm not saying that people haven't gotten sick. But I'm saying at some point, enough is enough right? Because this is the one place where people are going to find hope and encouragement. And when you take that away, it really hurts people. I heard Pastor Jack uh, the other day, or actually yesterday, and he was speaking about a little girl who, was, uh, who is eight years old, and she recently got baptized. They baptized recently over a thousand people. And this little girl ran away from home. And she was finally found, and she said that she was looking for her classmates. She went on the hunt looking for her schoolmates because she felt isolated and alone. And that's what's been happening. And a lot of people have felt isolated and alone, and we were not built to do that, and especially not as the church. We are to come together and encourage one another. This is so important. And there's been another agenda working, and I'll just say this. It's been really a spiritual agenda. It's been coming from the enemy. And we need to stand with one another, and we need to be a voice in our generation. This is no time to go into hiding. This is no time to uh, be a secret agent Christian. This is a time for us to stand, and not only for us, but for future generations. Do you agree? And so we need to encourage one another. Parakaleo is the Greek word for encourage. And uh, this particular word means to summon 
It means to exhort. It means to comfort. It can have different nuances of meaning. It can be to entreat, to beseech, to implore. I summon you. I encourage you. We are to do this. This is one of the 59 one another commands in the New Testament. We are to encourage one another. This is something that we need to do for one another in light of whatever days we're living in, whatever country you're living in, whatever state you're living in. We have people that have joined us via live stream in other states. Whatever the situation may be, we need encouragement. Are you an encourager? You know, we could all get better at that. There's a guy in our New Testament named Barnabas, and he was renamed by the apostles the son of encouragement. When the Bible says you are sons of day or sons of light, that means that's what you're known by. When you're the son of somebody in the Bible, that's, that's your link. Son of this person, son of that person, daughter of this person. Well, in the same way, when you're called a son of light, that means you're a son of God, a daughter of God. When you're a son of day. And here, when we are encouraging one another, this is what we're to be known for. Barnabas was known as a son of encouragement. He went around encouraging other people. Instead of taking courage out of people, he was putting it into people. Lately, what have you been doing? Do you get together with your friends and you're just like, oh, everything's terrible. We're all going to hell in a handbasket, baby. Stockpile food. You know, it's over. It's all over. Or are you saying, no, our God is reigning. Sometimes I have to encourage myself in the Lord. I'll show you a quick example. 1 Samuel 23, okay? So you got the first five books of Moses. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel. If you don't want to turn there, just listen to it. But I think there's value in turning to this particular passage. There was a great friendship between Jonathan and David, 1 Samuel 23. And David had a lot of rough patches in his life. Uh, in this case, he's out in the wilderness in the strongholds, 2314. And the Bible reads this way. And David stayed in the wilderness, 1 Samuel 2314, in the strongholds, and remained in the hill country in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day. That was his dilemma. Saul wanted to kill David, and he sought for him every single day. I know we have issues and problems in our lives, but imagine the king of your country wanting to kill you every day that you woke up. You knew he wanted to kill you. That was his agenda for the day. That would be a bit unnerving, to say the least. And it says, Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. Our God is sovereign. God would not let it happen. 15. Now David became aware that Saul had come out to seek his life. While David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh, and Jonathan, Saul's son, went to David at Horesh. What's your Bible say? He encouraged him in God. Or, NIV, he helped him find strength in God. What a beautiful statement about Jonathan. And by the way, rightfully speaking, if it was done according to the typical order, Jonathan being the son of Saul, was supposed to be the one who would receive the throne, but that was not God's choice. David was. And Jonathan was willing to step out of the way so that David could take his rightful place according to God. And not just step out of the way, 
but to be an encourager to the future king, to David. That is humility, folks. And that's what an encourager does. An encourager says, I'm not going to worry about myself, I'm going to worry about others, and I'm going to try to put courage into them. And he helped him find strength in the Lord. And he said to him, 17, do not be afraid, because the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be next to you. He made David look to God and his promises. This is how you encourage. And he said, and I'm going to be standing with you when this happens. And Saul, my father, knows that also. Don't be afraid. God's plan will come to pass. If you turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, let me read to you Romans 15, 14, uh, 4 through 6. Just write it down for your notes. It says, Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, including what I just shared with you with Jonathan and David, that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement, Romans 15, 5, grant you to be of the same mind with one, one another according to Christ Jesus. One of the highest duties, says William Barclay, of the church is encouragement. It is easy to laugh at men's ideals. It is easy to pour cold, cold water on their enthusiasm. It is easy to discourage others. The world is full of discouragers. We have a Christian duty to encourage one another. Many a time, a word of praise or thanks or appreciation or sheer has kept a man on his feet. Blessed is the man who speaks such a word, close quote. I want to be characterized by encouragement. I want to be the, a person who encourages one another, encourages others, puts courage into people. How about this week, you make it your goal to text somebody every day and put courage into them? How about you share a favorite Bible verse? How about you pray and say, Lord, who could I reach out to today? Give me one name that I can encourage via a text, via a phone call. Just say, hey, you've been on my heart. I've been thinking about you. I know you've been through something, and this is a verse that I think could encourage your day. I know a lot of you are doing that, but I pray that we would do that all the more. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12. Keep, we'll keep moving. But we request or entreat of you, brethren, the church, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you. Now, another set of individuals that need encouragement is not just uh, the congregants of a fellowship, but it's the pastors of a fellowship. Because pastors are people too. Can I get a witness? Amen. Amen. And you guys have done a tremendous job of keeping us encouraged. You do it with Snickers bars. It's just a <laughs> tremendous blessing. Uh, frozen yogurt gift cards, really, I think you get rewards in heaven for those, just so you guys know. But I was thinking the other day of men who have taken bold stands in our state, like Rob McCoy in Thousand Oaks, Jack Hibbs in Chino Hills, John MacArthur in Los Angeles. And uh, every week, these men are getting cease and desist orders sent to their churches and uh, they are getting uh, signs posted 
uh, on their door. And by the way, if they don't let county health officials to post those signs onto the property, they get an additional $500 fine. So I was checking out this blog, and this guy's been keeping up with what's going on with John MacArthur. And he said county health officials from L.A. County showed up at the church, and in order to spare the fine for the church, they walked those county health officials onto the property, and I think there was three of them, and they escorted them into the building to post their signs. And those county workers actually stayed the whole church service. Yeah, and they heard the gospel. Oh, by the way, two of, two of the three of them were already born-again Christians. And they communicated to this guy who does these blogs that they got paid to sit through John MacArthur's church service. Praise the Lord. And not only that, their friend got to hear the gospel who doesn't know the Lord. And they said that 90% of the people who work for the county think what's happening is absolutely ridiculous and they hate it. So don't think that just because a few people at the top are pulling their shenanigans that everybody's in agreement. There is a silent majority in this state and in this country that needs to rise up. Amen? And say enough is enough of this stuff. And praise the Lord that those men have decided to keep standing. And they've said, you know what, our doors are going to be open because I don't believe it's my job to shut the doors of the church. This is not my church. And I know there's all these differing opinions on what we should or shouldn't be doing, but I'll say this to you. We have a mandate to be together and encourage one another. We need it. We need it desperately. And by the way, of all these churches that have been open, 7,000 people coming to MacArthur's church. I think Jack's church in Chino Hills is now at about 15,000 people. No cases of COVID sickness. So, hello. Also heard John MacArthur recently say that in our state, one one-hundredth of one percent of people in California have COVID right now. One one-hundredth of one percent of people have COVID right now. So what is the state of emergency that we have? Again, if you've been affected by this, I am not trying to tell you there's not a real virus. But the reaction to what is actually reality right now is making me ask some serious questions about what's really going on here. And I praise God that we have men of God who have said, you know what, we're going to stand we're going to obey God rather than men. We're going to be wise. We're going to be careful. We're going to try to love each other through it. But I would tell you, if you haven't been, would you be praying for names that you know of? Uh, and I'm not talking about just in this state, but all over the country and for that matter, the world. And there's others that I could have mentioned. Would you be praying for these pastors? Because they need our prayers. You could be assured that the target on some of these guys' chest is huge and you may not fully understand nor may i the spiritual warfare that they go through on a daily basis it's not this is not easy stuff but i i want to just uh have you see some key words in verse 12 that we appreciate those who diligently labor among us and have charge over us in the lord see 
In the middle of verse 12, this is what we believe as leaders. I believe I'm going to answer to the ultimate shepherd for the way I shepherded you. I believe I'm going to give an account for the way I cared for God's people. And I believe that day is coming very soon. And I want to be able to say, Lord, I did my best to honor you and to honor your word. And I desperately want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. See, really, if, if the Bible's true, if there's a God, if, if really all of that, that we see is going to be destroyed and made new again, this is all that really matters. And when your life comes down to these kinds of simple things, then it simplifies a lot. You see, we are to appreciate those who diligently labor. It's not just their position, it's their diligence. Who work hard among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you, notice, instruction. Nuthateo is the Greek word. It means to put into the mind, to caution, to warn, to exhort, to reprove, or to admonish. These are those who teach us in Bible studies or Open the word of God to us, that you esteem them very highly in love, 13, because of their work, not because of their position, not because of their title on a business card. Esteem them very highly because of their work. Live in peace with one another. There's another one another command. We're to encourage one another. We're to live in peace with one another. We're to be encouragers. If you're taking notes, we're to be people of appreciation and people of respect or esteem, as I think the NIV has verse 13, were to respect authority. I could talk a lot about authority and the lack of respect in our culture, but, you know, it used to be that pastors and police officers and people in authority actually garnered a level of respect in our culture. I remember years ago, I went into a uh, golf course and. Uh, uh, this was the time when there was a lot of abuse cases coming out, and it happened to be the Roman Catholic Church at the time. A lot of priests were being accused of abuse and so forth. And so uh, I was with a friend of mine who was a police officer, and a discount was given. And I said, hey, do you guys have a pastoral discount here for pastors golfing? And he said, no, I think we'll charge you more. <laughs> and all God's people said, ouch. He must have known my golf game. But anyway... He was anticipating me hitting a house or something, but no, but it, it, was a, it was a cynical statement, but it was said in all seriousness. I don't think he appreciated pastors very much because our society has maybe some reasons to have some question marks, but then again, how often do you hear about faithful men in the ministry who serve 40, 50 years, who are at the bedsides of you know people who are uh, suffering and hurting and perhaps dying who are faithful week in and week out. How much do you hear about that? How much is that highlighted on the evening news? It doesn't get highlighted. Because the media loves sensationalism. It loves to, you know, kick them when they're down as the old song, was it the Eagles? That, that's, you know, the the bleach blonde comes on at five. She can tell you about the plane crash with a gleam in her eye. It's interesting when people die. Give us dirty laundry. 
Come on. No, don't sing it, please. Sorry. Sometimes songs just pop into my head. Wasn't in the notes, I promise you. But thank you, thank you. 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those, 1 Timothy 5, 17, who work hard at preaching and teaching. Now, I've heard a lot of debate for, of people who are different, in different movements. Uh, for example, uh, Greek Orthodoxy. And they'll say, you know, the center of a church service is communion. And the ancient church service was about this or about that. I have news for you. One of the biggest priorities given to pastors when you read your Bible is the preaching of the Word of God. It's at the center of ancient church services, according to Justin Martyr. And it's at the center of the pastoral epistles. There is a huge priority given on the instruction of the Word of God. And you may be asking, why do we spend so much time in our Bibles? Because this is the priority given to the men who God has called. Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep is what Jesus said to Peter. This is the uh, book of Hebrews. I, I tell you what, let's turn to our right. Hebrews 13. I want you to see a passage that applies to all of us, but there's a little bit more about church leadership here, and I think we all need to know this. Hebrews 13, look at verse 7. Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember those who led you. Hebrews 13, 7, who spoke the word of God to you and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. All the way down to verse 14. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice to pray, of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. 16. Do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders, 17, and submit to them, for they keep watch, they are shepherds, if you will, over your souls. As those who will give an account, let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable to you. And then I want you to keep turning to 1 Peter, a little bit more to your right, chapter 5, so you can see a little bit more about what under-shepherds under the chief shepherd are supposed to be doing. Peter writes, 1 Peter 5, 1, Therefore I exhort the elders among you, 1 Peter 5, 1, as your fellow elder, says Peter, and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight under, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears at his return here, you, shepherds, will receive the unfading crown of glory. Back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And so we pray for our leaders, and certainly we have ways to measure them. They're not to be lording it over to people. They're not to be in the ministry for sordid gain. If you go to a church and they take five different offerings on a Sunday morning, that should be a red flag. 
if it's always talk about money and about this or that, that should be a red flag. But, but shepherds are actually called to shepherd, protect, and serve the flock. Jesus said that the one that would be greatest among you shall be what? Servant of all. This is what service in the church means. It's what service in a marriage means. It means you lay down your life for others. The good shepherd, the ultimate shepherd, laid down his life for his sheep. He, the shepherd in ancient times, would lay at the opening of the, the sheep pen to keep predators out. That's the job of a shepherd. And that's why we esteem them very highly. We're to be people of respect. In verse 13, show new living, show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. Poole says their love was to be joined with esteem and esteem with love and both these to be to about and to, to abound and to superabound towards them. So we're to be people of respect, people of peace, 14, 1 Thessalonians 5. And we urge you, brethren, four things. This is that we do for one another. Admonish the unruly. Encourage the faint-hearted. This is all part of our building up and encouraging. It just continues. Help the weak. Be patient with all men. Four categories here, just quickly. The first, admonish, can mean to warn, to exhort. Unruly means those who have fallen out of rank or those who need to be told, don't be idle anymore, don't be apathetic, or to put it another way, get off the bench and get into the game. Amen? Ooh, that was a weak amen. Don't you think that a lot of people need to be told right now to get off the bench and get into the game. It's what we need. And the unruly has this idea of people who are out of rank. They are not doing what they're supposed to do. They're not in line. And so we need to move them back into line. These are people who get out of line, you could say literally, and we encourage them to get back into line. This is a different type of encouragement. But some people need it. Sometimes we need to say to some people, you know what, this is what you need to do. And it's not always, it'll be better, it's okay. But hey, this is what you need to do. And let me help you with it. Just like a general would say to a soldier, get in rank, man. Yeah, you can do another push-up. You can make it. It's a different sort of encouragement, but it is something that is needed. Secondly, you look at uh, 14, we are to admonish the unruly and to encourage the faint-hearted. Literally, the Greek word is the small-souled. There are people right now that are walking in fear. Fear has overwhelmed their lives. We are to encourage or comfort the small-souled or the faint-hearted. This could be, back to the uh, earlier verses, those who are anxious about departed loved ones and the coming of the Lord, those who may need consolation in the face of a loss of a job, a loss of a loved one, if they're faint of heart, you know, we sometimes say, this is not for the faint of heart, but let's say somebody is faint of heart. What should we do? We're to try to put courage into them. We're to try to build up their heart again. A little girl was sent on an errand by her mother 
She took much too long in coming back. Mother therefore demanded an explanation when she finally did return. The little girl explained that on her way she had met a little friend who was crying because she had broken her doll. Oh, said mother, then you stopped to help her fix her doll. Oh, no, replied the little girl. I stopped to help her cry. Sometimes that's what we're called to do. And all God's people said, oh, I heard that. That was, that was cool. Oh. And sometimes that's what, what our call is. We stop just to help somebody cry. Many years ago, uh, Pastor Chuck Smith, who's since gone home to be with the Lord, got a phone call at the church office. It was from a woman who had been part of their congregation for many years. She said, Pastor Chuck, uh, my husband has left me for another woman. He's living in a downtown apartment with this woman. This man was a leader in business, a leader in the church. He uh, had a good reputation, a beautiful family, beautiful home, lot, lot to live for, a lot of respectable things. And he had uh, somehow gotten involved with this other woman, and she said, Pastor Chuck, would you go down and talk some sense into him? So Pastor Chuck says he got in his car, and he was driving to this downtown area, a very shabby area. He started comparing where this guy was uh, staying compared to what he did have, and he couldn't believe it. He knocked at the door, and the guy sheepishly realized who it was, answered the door. Pastor Chuck said he sat down, and he was going to begin to speak to the guy. And he said the whole time that he was driving, he was praying, Oh, Lord, give me the right words. Oh, Lord, give me the right words. Oh, Lord, help me. Say something that'll make this guy come to his senses and go back home. He said as he opened his mouth, he began to look around. The woman kind of stuck her head out and went back into another room. And he, he thought about what, where this guy had come from and all that he had left behind. He said he just began to cry. And he said he started to cry like a baby. And he couldn't get any words out. He said this went on for a while, and he said he was so embarrassed that he told the man, I'm sorry, I can't get it together, I just have to leave. And he left. All he did was cry the whole time. He said he got in his car, he felt so horrible about himself. He said, Lord, I'm, a, I'm just a terrible pastor. I should have had a pearl of wisdom for this guy. I should have said something that would talk sense into him. Nothing but a bunch of bubbling, bumbling tears. He got a phone call later on that that man had gone back home. Because the Lord had used his tears to communicate more than any words could have shared. His heart was broken. And it reflected the broken heart of God. Do you know that God's heart breaks over a lot of the decisions that we make? And, you know, sometimes with some of our backgrounds, we think God is always mad at us. You know, maybe more times than being a disciplining father, he's a broken-hearted father. You ever thought about that one? That maybe sometimes he, he looks at the way we behave and what we do to one another and it breaks his heart. Maybe that's something that we need to consider. See, we're called to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And here, the third one in verse 14 is we're to help the weak. Uh, this could be a person who's overwhelmed by temptation. This could be someone who is uh, constantly falling to old uh, patterns. This could be a person, Romans 15, one who is weak in faith. The word weak here is impotent, without strength, feeble. 
You remember when uh, Moses went to the top of the mountain and they were fighting the Amalekites down below? And Aaron and Hur held up Moses' arms so that they can get the victory. Sometimes we're just called to hold up somebody's arms who's feeling weak. And by the way, that's not always about some perfect Bible verse at the perfect moment. Could be. But often it's just about you being there and saying, lean on me when you're not strong. We could sing it, but we won't. <laughs> I'll help you carry on. Oh, no. Perhaps it's something this simple. What can I do to help? I've asked that question many times over the years, and oftentimes the response is, please just pray. Please pray. Or a person might say, you know what? You've been a help just by calling me. (laughs) We think that sometimes it has to be this grandiose bullet point list of things that we need to do to help the weak. This is Acts 20, 35. Paul says, in everything I showed you, that by working hard in this manner you must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Just be ready to give. And finally, be patient with all men. Patience is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, and we need to be patient. The same patience that God has shown us, we need to try to apply to our spouse, to fellow drivers on the 91 freeway. I know it's hard. To people in grocery store lines. And even maybe if you have a disagreement with someone about how to navigate the times that we live in. I'll tell you a quick personal story just to show you how fallible Pastor Michael is. I was at a local car wash outdoors. Uh, I was vacuuming my wife's car to bless her because it's it's more blessed to give than to receive. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) so outdoor, vacuuming the car, and a little worker, little guy who meant well, told me to put a mask on. I'm outside in the sunshine vacuuming my car. And I said, no. <laughs> and all God's people said, Pastor, now we know how to pray for you. I said, look, I'm standing outside in the sunshine. I'm not putting a mask on. So the guy said to me, then you need to leave. And I responded, I will leave when I am done vacuuming my wife's car. Uh, Yeah, I know, it's terrible. Pray for me. And then I said, by the way, here's an invitation to Living Truth. I'm the senior pastor, (laughs) Living Truth Christian Fellowship. That's just to show you that I get tired too. (laughs) Now, I'm not against, okay, I'm not, I want you guys to understand. I put the mask on when I'm supposed to. When the sign says you got to, I do it. But I was outside in the sunshine. And I said, no. And then I thought, I'm supposed to be patient with all people. I think I got impatient with that guy. <laughs> oh, Lord, help me. Anyway. <laughs> and this will fit with what I just said. See that no one repays another with evil for evil. Oh, God, help me. But always... Seek after that which is good for one another and for all men. Now, 
Sometimes scripture rebukes me. And uh, I have to be honest with you. I'm not sure that I behaved the way I should have. I don't know. You guys can consider that. But there's, there's a lot of situations where scripture corrects me, often after the fact. And I sometimes go, whoops, I didn't do that. Or, whoops, I'm preaching on that Sunday. <laughs> that's, that's a problem. Because I would like to be living what I preach, but I don't always. <laughs> See, we're to give a blessing instead. And this, these are some of the hardest verses, and many of you recognize it. In Romans 12, Paul said something very similar. He said, never repay evil for evil to anyone. We're to give the blessing instead. Sometimes the words, God bless you, coming out of my mouth, are, have to, well, always, they have to be the Holy Spirit. And I've had times when I've had somebody mad at me just because I'm a Christian pastor, and surprising words came out of my mouth, and they weren't negative. They were actually, well, God bless you. Years ago, I was doing a memorial service, and it was for a fallen uh, fire department uh, individual many, many years ago. It was at a very formal setting, cemetery, church there. And uh, I was standing by the casket, and people were coming up to pay respects to this gentleman, and he was well-known in the fire department. And, you know, most people, they walk by, thank you, Pastor, appreciate the message, thank you, Pastor. And this man looked at me and said, uh, thank you for being here, Pastor, but I don't appreciate what you said today. I wanted to hear more about my friend. I didn't need to hear your Sunday sermon today. He gave me the stare. And I'll tell you, in my flesh, I wanted to say, let me tell you something, sir. But I was standing next to a casket, having just given a message on forgiveness and the hope of the gospel. And so what came out of my mouth is, well, God bless you, sir. <laughs> and I was like, where'd that come from? Thank you, Lord. I was in a meeting, uh, the, there was a little debate going on in the city about words that would be put in the chamber, <laughs> council chamber, and uh, this gentleman who's very vocal, uh, let's just say that he's not a friend of the Christian faith at this point in his life, and he looked across the room, we we're all sitting there, we we're ready to make our arguments for in God we trust to be in the council chambers of Corona, and he looked and he said, I know you! I went, Mary had a little lamb. Little. <laughs> you do? Yeah, I've seen your picture around town. You're a pastor of that church over there, aren't you? And I said, uh, yeah. <laughs> and let me tell you who I am. And he went on, I'm an atheist. You want to see an atheist in the flesh? Here's one. You're looking at him right here. And I'm telling you, he was, he was mad. And you know what came out of my mouth? There's a local car wash I'd like to recommend to you, sir. It's, no, just kidding. <laughs> no, I actually told him I loved him. And I tell you, I don't even know where it came from. Well, I do know. It came from heaven. Later, I had a conversation with this gentleman and I reaffirmed my love for him because I want him to come to know the Lord. 
And he told me, I said, you know, I told you I loved you. And he said, I didn't need that. (laughs) But I came to find out that he had had a bad experience in a church many, many years ago. And that there were certain people in a congregation when he was growing up that didn't represent the Lord very well. And he got turned off to the Christian faith. And behind, oftentimes, a story like that is a story. Everybody know what I'm saying? There's someone who's been hurt and disappointed, sometimes by us. And there's a little backfilling work that we got to do, and this is where we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and not try to take everything personally. Amen? See, we're not to repay evil with evil to anyone. I want to take you to Romans 12, and I'm going to leave you with this, and then we're done. Romans chapter 12. Let's turn over there. It's worth us taking a look at and seeing how it ends. Romans chapter 12. It's a strategy for all of us as we're out there in this broken world. Romans 12. Take a look. 16. Be, wa- be of the same mind toward one another. 12, 16 of Romans Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, Romans 12, 18. And you might want to underscore that because sometimes it's not possible. So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved. But leave room for the wrath of God. He will take care of it. For it is written, vengeance is mine. It's not yours, it's mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So what's our strategy? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Father, would you help us in this endeavor to be the kind of people described just in these few verses that we've dealt with? And Father, would you forgive me for the times that I have fumbled the ball and not represented you the way that I should? But thank you that you're so patient with me, and your patience with me (laughs) has allowed me to be patient with others. If you, O Lord, kept a record of my sin, O God, who could stand? I couldn't. But with you, there's forgiveness and amazing grace. Lord, as we think about one another and we think about all that this uh, state and this world has been going through, we have been challenged maybe like no other time in our lives. In these last six months, this has been challenging sledding but it's also been a good time it's been good for the church because the church has in many pockets come back to a place where there's a desire a deep desire for revival to start with us and we're beginning to sense it in different pockets and different places but especially in our own hearts and lord don't let it wane we can be so quick to forget so quick to not be about our Father's business. 
Would you help us, Lord? You have, you've allowed this time for whatever your divine purposes are, and one of them has to be to purify your people. Would you help us, Lord, as we seek to be those who build one another up and encourage one another and live at peace with one another and esteem each other highly and love each other, that we don't repay evil for evil. That's easy to do. Jesus said that we are to pray for our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. And Lord, these are the hardest verses in our Bible, but they're there. And they're one of the ways that we walk as children of light, one of the ways that we shine as lights in a perverse and crooked generation. They're one of the ways that we are the city on a hill when we respond differently. And Lord, we need you. We need to have the armor of light on. We need to put that breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of hope to be able to do this. We need to suit up. Would you help us? Lord, it can be an overwhelming thought, but just help us just today, just today to put on that clothing and then to do it tomorrow and to rejoice. We're about to look at our personal walk next time and it'll tell us to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, to be a thankful people. And that's what we want, Lord. We want to pray always. We want to rejoice always. We want to give thanks always. And Lord, the only way we can do that is to know you're in control and to have our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus with your head and heart bowed, if you haven't met him, if you feel like, man, I'm under the weight of my sin, if you want forgiveness, the hope of heaven, you want to follow the king who is the ultimate king, something like this, Jesus, save me. Please forgive me of my sin. Thank you for dying on that terrible cross for me. Pray it if it's you. Thank you for rising from the dead. I repent of my sin. I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior, and I want to follow you as my King. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for cleansing me from every sin I've ever committed. Help me to be filled with your truth and your love, to follow you. If you're a prodigal, it's something very similar. Lord, I want to come to my senses. I want to come home and follow you. And Lord, for your people here, uh, your people who are trying to walk out their faith and encourage and edify and build up and challenge and, and stay the course. Would you bless them? Would you keep them? Would, your, would you allow your beautiful face to shine on them? Would you give them peace? A peace that passes understanding. Would you give them hope and confidence knowing that we know how this story is going to wrap up? And may that give us confidence for the day and the season in which we find ourselves. May we be active because these verses tell us we've got to be active as we wait for your return. But may we do it not by might nor by power, but by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to do a final song.